What's going on, man? Happy Wednesday. Happy Wednesday, bro. Early show for once. I know. I know. We go. Uh, <laughs> we did a late show and then an early show. It's uh, it's always uh, always fun. Um, but yeah, uh, I'm excited for today's guest. It's uh, I think Molo's got a really cool story, and I enjoy uh, Stefan's content on LinkedIn, and yeah, excited to hear about things kind of uh, you know, from his uh, from his perspective. Yeah, I mean, as somebody that hauled for Molo, and you know, I still haul for Molo like frequently. It's uh, definitely one of the longer behind-the-scenes talks we ever really had <laughs> with a guest, just out of personal personal curiosity. So, uh, I'm excited for this one. Man. Yeah, me, uh, me as well. Should we, uh, should we get going? Yeah, let's go, man. What's going on, man? Hey, how's it going? Hey, thanks for having me, guys. It was great, uh, great meeting you guys. Yeah, it was great meeting you as well. And uh, you know, thanks for uh, thanks for coming on. Um, I guess kind of to get started, you want to just uh, we kind of ask all of our guests, you know, this question, uh, you know, first, you know, how did you, uh, you know, how did you get into logistics? Man, so my I, I stumbled into logistics. It wasn't my chosen career path, but um, actually, it was in I was in Wrigleyville. You know, young young kid, fresh out of college, and uh, I ran into a guy at a bar. Um, and he, he told me about Coyote Logistics and that how he was doing really well, making good money. Um, and I think I had my first job out of college. I was a commercial recruiter at an entry-level job, $28,000 a year. Uh, he's like, yo, like, you would be good at this. You're personable. I think you should check this thing out. And he actually uh, referred me to an interview uh, at Coyote. So that's like literally how I found brokerage. I didn't know. The only thing I knew was that trucks had 18 wheels. That was literally it. And I was probably 22 years old. So you didn't go to college, you know, just thinking, hey, you know, when I graduate, I'm just going to be sitting in a you know freight broker office here in six months. Not even close. I stumbled upon it. Um, I was briefly working as a valet manager uh, in my early 20s at a, at a country club. And and part of the that that was a really cool experience because, you know, getting to 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 meet kind of people who've, who've you know, made made a name for themselves or built their careers um and you know parking cars and you know i think at one point we we parked 500 cars but like managing all of that was like logistics right and like shaking hands moving cars around and so i like started getting this like wait i'm kind of good at like this efficiency thing i can like get things going and moving and shaking um and then when the you know the logistics opportunity came about i was like i think that i'd be good at this and so uh yeah i got the interview at Coyote, I aced it. And I remember saying, like, if you don't hire me, I got another interview at, at Echo. And I think Command was still out there at the time, too. And there was just a few other companies. Um, and I remember getting the offer and I was like, all right, let's ride. And so I jumped on that bandwagon in, what was that, 2011 is when I started at Coyote. How uh, how was your you know first couple months at Coyote and you know learning the industry and, um, you know, how was that? It had to be a much, uh, much different time in, you know, in 2011, um, you know, just kind of learning the whole yeah. You know, phase. Yeah. So like back then, Coyote was the, the rocket ship that was, was, uh, you know, the house, the name that was challenging CH and, and really up and coming. It was the, the hot startup in Chicago that everybody wanted to work at. So if you got a job there, you were like, this is dope. Right. And so, I remember being in training class and it was extensive. It was probably eight, eight hours a day of just knowledge, pumping you with anything you, 
you know, you needed to know to, to either be a carrier sales rep, customer sales, or go into operations. So I remember going through classroom training for about 30 days. You had to pass that and then hitting the floor and going into hot pod where you started learning how to book freight and talk to carriers and whatnot. And so um, my personable background dealing with, you know, members and remembering names and parking cars and just starting to get kind of like a little bit more networking allowed me to, to be able to build relationships with carriers and kind of earn their trust quickly. Um, I remember being in hot pod and, and being one of the quickest guys to, to advance out of there, uh, built several great relationships with carriers that today I still remember them, their Facebook friends, um, or, you know, we still text here and there, but like, just, yeah, like hitting hot pot and, and having like a sense of urgency around weight. Like, I think I can make something of myself of this opportunity. How was the market back then in 2011? Was it a similar market to we have now or was a similar market to like 2020? I want to say 2011 was, was a little bit more mild. And then within the next year, I remember Coyote hiring close to like, like 500 people because like the market was taken off and we needed to grow. So, um, but yeah, a big part of the, the coyote, uh, journey for me was doing carrier sales. Um, I was on the refrigerated team and quickly scaled up. I, I understood carriers and what they want and how to treat people and how to make them feel loyal and, and go above and beyond for them. And, um, you know, at one point I got to one or two or, or three in refrigerated, you know, carrier sales throughout my journey there. And, uh, yeah, I just really enjoyed the culture, the vibes, being able to make good money, friendships, working in Chicago, hustle and bustle. So that was a big, a big piece of my early career before I, you know, before I ventured off into to Molo and other opportunities. I'm sure you had pretty long hours. I, mean, I was a, I was a food rep myself. So I'm guessing on the carrier side, I mean, I don't know how things were set up at Coyote, but I mean, for a lot of early morning appointments, late nights, I mean, I'm sure being on the refrigerated side, you know, was a pretty heavy, heavy workload on the carrier side. Yeah, it was, it was just more about like grinding and hustling, right? Like you'd want to get in the office and be the first one in and lock into the carrier files of the, the carriers you wanted to develop. Um, there was just something about competing with others that I, I enjoyed and, and, you know, get in early, stay late, you know, you're in mid twenties. What do you have? You, you, you have your rent, your student loans and your dog and you drink, right. Or you go out and party. Like that's literally was the life back then. And so you, um, <clears throat> built a lot of friendships battling as a carrier rep at, at Coyote, but also I built my reputation of being a, a really good carrier sales rep and taking care of my carriers. So, um, that was a, a pivotal part of my career. Did you meet the other co-founders of Molo at, at Coyote? I believe, I know Andrew was at Coyote and I don't know where Will, Matt wasn't in the industry, but you met, you worked pretty closely with, with Andrew. You guys were at Coyote for the same time, right? Yeah. So um, it's actually funny. Andrew was on the customer side. Um, obviously Jeff Silver, his dad, CEO of Coyote. And Andrew was working there, building his reputation inside of, uh, inside of Coyote. And I would book a lot of freight for him. Um, he'd, he'd land these customers, food and beverage, refrigerated customers, and I'd be taking care of business on the carrier side. And so we always had this like competitive but mutual respect for each other. Um, 
while while we were at, at, at Coyote together. Um, and in, in terms of Will, like Will came in probably two years after me. Um, and at that time, I had already started scaling my carrier sales book of business. And I saw Will, I could just kind of sense his demeanor of being like a, a grinder hustler type of guy. And I, and I was looking to get a um, an ops rep because I needed someone to help me track track and help me build a book of business. And like, and, and I was trying to convince Will to actually, let's do this thing together, dude. We'll split the commissions and work work together and blow this thing up. And uh, I respect the hell out of him for saying like, hey, dude, I'm going to go my own route. Like, I'm going to build my own book and, and do that. But like, that was the first interaction that I had with Will was that I could just tell he was cut from a, the type of breed, you know, a person who wants to bust their ass to work hard. Um, and so we just stayed mutual connections, friends throughout throughout Coyote. Um, so it was really cool to see full circle that that friendship that we had there ended up becoming, you know, something much larger at Molo. No, that's cool. It's always cool to hear the the starting story. How did it get to, because Molo started in 2017. I mean, how was the conversation to, to start Molo? Was it, you know, one day you guys were all just hanging at a bar and someone said, hey, we should start a brokerage or was something, you know, that had been in talks for a while or you know, how did the you know idea, you know, come about with, with all you guys to you know, do this? Yeah. So I will never take credit for, for the idea of, of building Molo. I was, I was invited on the rocket ship, right? Andrew was the, the, the pioneer behind Molo and, and Matt, uh, his best friend from, from Lake Forest. I think Andrew at the end of his coyote tenure, you know, wanted to, to go and, and build his own company and had aspirations of doing that. Um, at that time I was outside of coyote working at a, a smaller company. Um, and he had reached out to me and, and asked, me to be part of part of Molo. Um, and I was like, I'm kind of doing really well over here, but um, if you really want to build something great, like I'm down to jump on this journey with you. So um, I took a leap of faith. I remember I, was, I think I was 28. I was in my kitchen in Chicago, living in Logan Square. And like, I got a good thing going here. There's the startup. Andrew wants to, to push this thing forward. And I, I think I had a, a job offer at Amazon Freight. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm going to jump on the startup. Let me be like, let me be employee number two or three at, at an early stage company um, and just grind my ass off and see what, see where this thing's go goes. And if in three, four years, it doesn't work out. Like I, I learned a ton and I can go and do something else with my, my life. I'm still young and I could pivot. And so I said, so let's, let's ride. And I jumped on, on building Molo. I mean, was there ever um, and, a conversation that was like, you know, we're going to do something different uh, as a company as, yes. you know, I guess, as Molo? Or was it just sort of a let's be the boss and make all the money type of thing? Was, was there like something? No. How you'd be different? And I don't want to I don't want to speak for Andrew. Um, he had a non-compete, no. so he couldn't really be a part of Molo for the first year. But um, I think him and Matt and, and then Will and I kind of really started laying the groundwork of like, how do we differentiate ourselves in this industry? We're recognizing that, um, you know, the larger the brokerage is, they, they kind of get away with uh, maybe giving freight back or the customer experience is lacking. And so we felt like there was a, a niche or a hole for like doing everything that a customer or carrier wanted like perfectly. And we were like, like okay, so if we treat yeah. properly, like, <laughs> 
paying them on time, treating our employees with respect, building a, a culture that everybody wants to work at, um, taking care of customers. You commit to the freight, you move the freight, no matter what. I don't care if the, the market ship, you, you move it for the cycle that you committed to, um, paying your carriers on time. Like, those were the principles. Like, it sounds simplistic, but we just said, we're going to do everything the, exactly the right way from the beginning. And if we do that really, really well, eventually we'll become a household name that everybody will respect because they can't say anything bad about it. Like we're doing I everything mean, perfectly the way that I shippers want to. Right. I think you said it the, the exactly the right way. I mean, as a carrier, when I worked in a huge company, we had a lot more leniency with brokers say, hey, I'm giving this back or fighting for extra accessorial saying, hey, I got a thousand trucks in my fleet. You're not going to give my, you're not going to give my account away over 200 bucks. But, you know, when you're in a small company, you got to do everything correctly because you don't have that bargaining chip. So I think that's like a cool, cool principle. Say, hey, let's be the big guys, but let's be the big guys correctly. Uh, and I think that that's a cool right. And build, you know, and like when you're tiny, right, you're starting from scratch. You have to think about like how you're going to compete with a large, a large, you know, company, a large brokerage and, and being able to like operate at scale. But in reality, like. You got a few customers, so you have to crush those opportunities. And then, you know, over time, that momentum spirals into landing more customers and then, you know, figuring out everything, the chips that fall after that and what you have to do to, to scale. But, yeah, if you just keep the vision set on, like, taking care of your customers better than everybody, the culture, unwavering commitment to drivers, that was, like, 90% of what we did to get us to where – we were able to scale and like I see the industry and a lot of inefficiencies. I see companies struggling with, you know, like buzzwords, everything going on. But like the reality is it's like if you do a really good job, always like don't do the, the stuff giving freight back or or, you know, not paying your carriers or not paying your assistorials like that stuff will catch up to you. And we just fully committed to doing that better than everybody and or at adequate the level that like we expected that it that it should like be how you like want that it was... to be done yeah, like just because you're scaling right. doesn't mean you got to sacrifice any part of your customer experience um but i mean can you walk so we never your... sacrifice that yeah yeah Go ahead. Mean, can you walk us through year one like day one week one month one like what is day one to year one look like you know for for molo man i mean day one it's a it's a bar above a or a, an office above a bar in downtown chicago on hubbard street <laughs> um, we're you know thinking of names we're setting up our dat license we're you know obviously we had all our ducks in a row in terms of getting the, the company set up but like you're you're setting up payables you're getting a, a carry uh your first customer and then you know you're getting ready to move your first load like all of the like basics of what would it would require to move a load like think of that as like day one and then after that it, it becomes okay how do we get a couple more customers how do we take care you know get get carriers that want to haul for us uh, um, overcoming those challenges. Um, and then, and then who do you hire, right? Like you, you need to scale, you need to have more bodies. So like you start hiring people that you think could be, you know, pivotal, 
pivotal first employees at a at a startup. Um, how how was that? Because I, I always hear that's the most challenging part to starting a brokerage, and you're on the carrier sales side. Was your you know background, you know, just because you don't have the credit in the first year? You know, were you having to you know negotiate a lot with carriers? You know, pay them up front you know, to get them to haul loads, or you know, how challenging you know was that for you guys in the first year, just you know, not having that not having that credit? Yeah, it's a challenge, right? Like you don't have. You don't have established credit carriers, right? If you if you if you had posted a load on DAT, carriers look at your score, right? And if you're been in business for two three months, like you don't have you don't have the the the, the credit, and they're scared that you're you're not going to pay them, right? And we know all I'm one of those on. people. So like you, you know, you're looking at um, how can you move freight, even though you know that. Um, there are hurdles or that certain carriers won't haul for you. And then you have to overcome those obstacles. Maybe it's figuring out a certain way to pay them or different methods or upfront or assurances. And you're calling factoring companies, you're calling the credit agencies to like get them to move you forward faster. Like, Hey, we're paying our bills. Like check that, you know, like the, all of those steps are, are critical in the first year establishing your credit. Um, but me personally, the first year, um, kind of depends on the route you're going to go in terms of, you know, scaling a brokerage or what you want to do if you want to be big or small or, or mid-sized, but you need grinders. You need people that understand how freight moves have been exposed to success, whether it's carrier customer or operations. And you need people that are willing to wear several hats, right? Like you can't just come in and be like, do, do, do. I'm just going to, I'm just going to schedule loads over here. And like, I'm not doing anything else like that won't work. Right. You need some people that are like, grinders willing to pull a 12 hour shift, answer the phones after hours, you know, do something that's maybe outside of their role. So a lot of the first year we wore a ton of hats, um, Matt, Will and I, and there were several others that were on the journey, Emily Madden, um, Blake McClimates, Ricky Cabrado, Kevin Berardini. Like there were a lot of people that jumped in in the beginning that were like, Hey, we want to be a part of this, like this company that could turn into something big one day. And, we just signed up for doing whatever it took. I remember moving some of our first loads um, and like relying heavily on one of my old carrier relationships that I had. Like we had a lot of freight that was moving out of Idaho, Washington, um, potatoes, onions, right? Like produce shipper and whatnot. And like I had this carrier out of Idaho that like it'd be seven o'clock. We can't get a we can't get a truck. We can't cover this load and. He's the guy like he was the guy who always came through. He would reroute a trailer, drop a trailer on his lot, um, you know, whatever it took. He'd go get that load picked up for us. And he was my 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 A1. And like you needed those relationships in the beginning to get to get it moving without carriers. Like you're going to struggle if you're just starting with no relationships. It's it's a challenge. I mean, did you guys pay? Because, uh, like, as you said, like, for every load I haul, especially in this current market conditions, like, I, I check everybody's credit. I don't care if I hauled a load for you yesterday. I'm putting you into my credit check if we're booking a load today. Um, I mean, the only way I'll haul your load with no credit is if you pay me 50% on pickup, 50% on delivery. And I'm not sending you yeah. the POD until I get my second 50%. Like, you guys run into those situations? Yeah, there's a lot of carriers like that. I mean, obviously, in the beginning, you don't have as many options because you don't have a full-fledged carrier 
you know, fully developed carrier department with 10,000 trucks that are, you know, 10,000 MCs that are all approved and all this and that. So you kind of are at liberty of like the truck, the carrier that you found that is qualified and you're at, at mercy to how they want you to pay them. So like, you gotta, you gotta work through that. But then, you know, over time, as you start getting your carrier set up, you start getting the payable set up, you start getting some more customers. You start start building trust. This industry is all about trust. The entire industry is trust. If you were to just zoom out and like label one word for the entire industry, it's trust. And like, I think why there are challenges in this industry is because people like to play on that. They like to stretch it or not tell the truth or cut corners. And like you get caught when you do that. Do you want to touch too on like, you know, the relationships? I mean, I'm sure it helped you guys at the beginning too. I mean, you had a, you know, a lot of you know relationships I'm sure developed, you know, with care, <coughs> excuse me, with carriers. So you didn't necessarily always have to, you know, pay 50% up front or you know, do all this. You know, I'm sure some of your guys' you know, previous work, you know, and those solid relationships, you know, you had, you know, help make it easier as well, I would guess. Yeah, I think it was, you know, we had some quality relationships, but it was also the understanding of like how to build relationships, right? Like it, 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 once you figure that out, like, or understand what a carrier needs and wants and like how to treat them, then you start treating everyone that way. And you can quickly, um, get buy-in from them and they can see that you're qualified. You do the things the right way after you treated them the first, second, third time. And then you start offering them the, you know, the freight that they need. And, and uh, yeah, it's a, it's a two-sided business. You have to have quality carrier relationships and you got to have good customers. Um, and that was a big part of what we did in the beginning was, was dividing that and, and building out both sides. Um, my carrier sales background Originally, I was supposed to do the carrier side, um, but I had also had some customers that I had um, built relationships in the past. And so it was more valuable to me to actually switch sides early on in Molo and go full customer because we needed the freight. And so um, I shifted, I want to say maybe six months to eight months in, I went full go customer. Um, I didn't have an extensive knowledge of that previously because I did six years carrier sales experience, but um, I became Molo's first customer sales rep. Did you stay uh, on the customer side for most of the time at, you know, not to jump too far ahead, but did you stay on the customer side most of the time at Molo or did you kind of pivot back over to the carrier side once you guys got to a certain, certain level? I went a hundred percent customer. Um, I, I realized quickly that we needed quality customers that that paid you know paid the bills while we were investing heavily in enterprise relationships and if you know a little bit about obviously on the enterprise size customers typically have higher requirements tighter margins you're you're scaling your operations out um, you're scaling teams to support them and so my role for the first really couple years of molo was like run a book of BD business that was profitable while we were investing in large enterprise shippers. And so that was the hat that I wore for the first couple of years. And then eventually my sales career took off where I was, I, I went full enterprise and scaling and building partnerships with 
some of the largest shippers in the country. Well, that had to be that had to be a fun experience for you, going from you know six years on the carrier side to you know then going over to the the customer side. Um, that had to be that had to be a fun experience. What was kind of the you know biggest challenge you know in the first year or two you know of of Molo and you know scaling it? You know, was there a major challenge that kind of you know came to mind that you guys you know had to overcome? Yeah, I think um, obviously there's at that time there was probably eighteen thousand brokerages, right? So it's super competitive. You're the new company. You're trying to get credibility. You're trying to get customers to believe in you or give you a shot. Um, you're not a household name yet, but you're kind of up and coming. And so, you know, you're really trying to use whatever you can to to get attention from a from a customer or carriers to to haul for you. Um, we really started scaling when Andrew came on. It was I want to say a year after. Um, you know, he took he took um, lead and became CEO and 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 set the vision and started uh, really planning it out. I think year one. I fin- we finished just shy of 20 million, um, maybe 18 million was the, was the number. Um, and then I want to say, man, I'm trying to remember back in the, the think tank here, probably 60 million by, by year two, maybe it was 78 million. Um, but after Andrew came, we really threw gas on the fire and, and we're able to scale and our company doubled every year from there on. Wow, that's pretty. So a big part of that too. Go ahead. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. I was just say a big part of that too was uh, there's a lot of learning curves and mistakes you make, and you don't know everything. You don't know if you're doing things the right way. There's no like written Bible of like here's how you start a freight brokerage and follow these (laughs) steps, and like if you do this, you will build this amazing company. Nobody has that script. You're kind of like freelancing trial and error this worked that didn't work this employee was great this one wasn't great and so you're kind of moving on the fly but that's part of the energy and excitement of a brokerage from the the infancy stage because like you don't know if everything is going to be perfect but you know you're working towards something that's great and then when you get the buy-in from all the employees that are like yeah like i think this thing could go somewhere it could be something special um the more commitment you get in the buy-in from your employees that momentum is infectious and like take, and then you start wanting the to take care it's a fuel man i'm telling you like it was invigorating you wanted to get in the office and i remember setting up we work after we transitioned from that tiny office above a bar um and then we got our, our first like i would say real office um in in the Fulton market and you, you're setting up desks and you start to see all the monitors in there and you're like, wait, this thing can like actually go. Like at that time, I think we had 50 employees. Um, and then there was another side of the office that had a hundred desks open with just monitors. And you're like, we're kind of building something here. Like if we keep I doing mean, what we're doing. That's huge. That's huge. When you have 150 <laughs> desks. I mean. <laughs> I remember, I'll never forget that day. We were moving out of the, the WeWork and every um, we were setting up that office and it was like a surprise for all the employees. There was probably 10 of us that set the office up, but we stayed up till like three or four in the morning, like eating, eating Lou Malnati's pizza, drinking beers and setting up all the desks. And then it was like 
I don't think we did a ribbon cutting, but it was like, hey, this is our new spot. We're going to grow and scale here. And it was like exciting moment uh, for us opening that that office. And you could just feel the vibes, man, like that we were building something that was going to be something special for sure. And at that point, I think we were, yeah, like 78, I want to say it was like 78 million, probably shipping 100 loads a day. Um, but I remember celebrating five loads a day, 10 loads a day. 20 loads a day, 30 loads a day. Hey, we just won this. Whoa, new customer. Like everything was like a celebration. And then it, 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 it like reminds you like, wait, we can keep doing this. What do we need? We need more customers. We need uh, back office support. We need a better TMS. Like you start like going through all of that learning curve. And, and you know, today, right? Like a lot of that information might be out there already. Right. Like if, if someone was starting a new brokerage today, they probably can figure out some of those hurdles that we went through um, and accelerate some of that. So you don't have as much of a learning curve. But I remember the, a pivotal day was was when we uh, committed to getting a TMS with uh, with Mastery. That was, you know, Jeff Silver's company. That TMS was really, uh, really helpful with our uh, just overall being able to, to scale and take care of enterprise shippers. Was it easier too on the on the people level? Um, you know that, that was a pretty cool story of you know when you stayed up till four a.m. and set up that office. I mean, was it easier you know getting talent too once you guys started to you know keep doubling and you know growing? I'm sh I mean, you guys were in Chicago, which is like a mecca, you know, for freight. Was it easier getting you know top talent and people as you guys you know had that had that growth or you know I guess maybe just kind of talk about you know, the recruiting process and you know, getting top you know talent to Molo. Yeah, I think the early stages we we uh, maybe struggled a little bit with getting talent. Um, you know, you're reaching out to your network, you're getting people who want to learn and, and, and develop. But in an early stage company, you need you need people that know what they're doing. Like that could just come in and get get it done. And so I think we could have accelerated even faster if we had another maybe ten employees that like had the, the same acumen as like a will and I um, or, or experience that could just like be hit the ground running day one. Um, and maybe they wear a few, few different hats, but um, yeah. And so like part of our growth and ability to scale over time was getting better talent, getting people that could plug and play and, and understood whether there's the customers or operations or carrier or team. Like once we started getting some some killers and people in the business that you didn't need handholding, like it, it started taking off for sure. Yeah, no, that that had to be exciting. I mean, just you know, doubling not just your numbers, but you know, doubling the people size and you know the office and everything, everything like that. Um, you know, so when did you guys, you know, reach about the, you know, I know you said you doubled to 78 million. When, you know, did you guys kind of reach the hundred, you know, 200 million? Cause we're, we're kind of getting around the time of COVID and I, we were talking pre-show and I think that's when things, you know, really kind of took off to you, but it was a you know, really scary time right around. Do you kind of remember, you know, what happened, you know, leading up yeah. to COVID, and, you know, that day. And uh, you know, I, I find that really interesting. I remember COVID. Uh, that was it's very challenging time for the entire industry, but um, you know, uh, we all one of our carriers dropped off monitors at the office, and everybody was like, 
on their way out, grab your monitors. We're going to set up shop at home, but like, we can't fail for our customers. Like, but obviously COVID was like a threat. So like everybody had to like quickly go remote. So, um, you know, Andrew and Matt did a really great job of, of getting everybody in line and, you know, making sure that we were seamlessly, but not, not just them too. Like we had some killers and bugs in our company that really stepped up and became leaders. And like, it's a challenging time. Um, and your management needs to step up and, and understand that like they might need to take on more than their previous role. Right. Like you got to lead our people, like companies failed during the pandemic. Like, and so, um, we weren't going to let that be our, our calling card. So we, we went home, everybody set up, we got the phone set up and like worked from home for, I want to say it was at least a year, year and a half. But um, again, I use the word pivotal a lot because the COVID time, a lot of companies chose to do like they, they chose to think about themselves and not take care of their customers or their carriers and make short-sighted decisions where we made a decision collectively that it was like, this is a hard time for everybody. Why don't we use this year, which is likely going to be the most challenging year in the history of logistics. And it already like you were already seeing that happen as a, a way to catapult our, our business forward. And so while everybody was coming back for rate increases, asking for or, you know, reneging on their commitments, um, we stayed true to our word. We kept servicing all our freight. We kept paying our carriers the same amount of money that we agreed to. Uh, we didn't change our business model for a second. If, if anything, we doubled down on service. Now, was that um, financially the perfect decision? You know, at, at times maybe we were in, uh, in the red or, or hurting. But from a place of like building a a presence in the industry of reliability and like long term scalability buy into what we're doing, that was the perfect time for us to to pave our, our, our way as like the type of broker that is not going to waver on their commitments. And so that's what we stuck to. Everyone rallied around that. Um, the employees who went home and worked through the pandemic became self-reliant. Our company uh, doubled from the pandemic. We went from 278 million to 550 million after the pan the next year. And that was because by the end of the year, we were the last carrier to come back to most of our largest shippers and ask for rate increases or, you know, or uh, the sky is falling. Like, cause we were just like, why don't we use this one year to to state our, our claim as the type of carrier or a broker that you want to do business for 10 years. And so by the end of the year, the shippers were reaching out to Andrew, like on LinkedIn, like I'm hearing stories that you guys, like you guys are handling this like pandemic better than my current carriers who've been a, you know, been a, been a, a mainstay in our network for a long time or our current customers. Like, I know you guys are hurting. Like we want to help you guys. And it was, you know, by doing that, our you know we we took off, and so the next year, more enterprise shippers came on board. Um, yeah, it was just a, a time where like kind of like band of brothers, like the company really, um, really bought into this is this is who we are. We're Molo. We're never going to give up, and 
it allowed us to keep scaling. But it was hard. I'm not gonna sugarcoat it. That was very hard. <laughs> How hard was it? You know, going from 270 to 500 million in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, I'm sure hiring was more, you know, more challenging then as well, and the workload. You know, working from home, the amount of loads, obviously, with the market and COVID went way up. I mean, I'm sure you were working the hours, you know, had to be some pretty crazy hours during COVID to, you know, keep up with all that, especially, you know, with the way rates were too, and, you know, keeping those customers, you know, satisfied. Yeah, I think, like, um, I remember actually going home, working remote and finding that I was working more. <laughs> um like, right, you skip the hour commute in and the hour back, but like your laptop is open from maybe you worked, you know, 7.30 to 6 before, but like you're on at 6.30 and you're answering emails at, at 8 p.m. And like, so you ended up being more productive. Um, but yeah, for me, I, uh, being able to tell the stories of like how we handled adversity as a company resonated with the customers and the pain they were feeling from like how other brokerages were not handling the struggle right and so being able to articulate like here's what we're doing for our customers that believed in us we're not reneging on our commitments we're taking care of them um we're taking care of our employees we're taking care of our drivers like we're, we're in this thing for the long haul that story anybody would relate to that and so like that's that was the culture we were building. That was what we were able to to market to people wanting to work at Molo. Like the story of being a company that is like never going to give up and always doing the right thing is what catapulted us through that through that challenging time. Yeah, I mean, it's just interesting to me now, especially because you know you guys' whole principle was to to treat the carriers right, obviously to do right by by uh, the, the customers which is what the broker's position is. You guys should do right by both parties. Um, I think it's just interesting in the current state of affairs where, I mean, you see, like I personally firsthand, like I'm not going to name drop people, but like I saw a brokerage in the past, you know, five days I've worked with for four years and, you know, they're, they're trying to cut my rates at unfair, you know, everybody's now that, now that the market's bad, you know, for the brokers and the carriers freight, you know, um, rate wise, you see brokerages kind of doing what they can to steal back from the carriers, um, you know, to not have to charge the customers this and that. And I think, you know, it's interesting because the principle of just doing right by people when the rates were high, you know, you guys were taking a bunch of losses. You know, you weren't going back to your customer and saying, hey, I need seven grand Chicago to Tennessee like the carrier wants. So you guys took a bunch of losses. But now that the rates are at rock bottom, um, I feel like a lot of these huge name brokerages are just going to the carrier to, to kind of settle the debts, which um, I mean, that's going to flip back to them. Like you said, you guys were selling the story of doing everything right and doing right by everybody. And I feel like a lot of really massive brokerages in this market have kind of went the opposite direction. And I think when things flip, um, people are going to remember that, you know, um, the, the way that people are taking out late fees and the way that people are, are, you know, trying to nickel and dime the carriers on the back end. Um, I think these big name brokerages are really going to feel it um, when it flips again. Yeah, it, it always does. I think there's a fine line between taking care of carriers and, and customers and, and trying to get everybody, keeping everybody happy. Like, 
uh, there's a natural maturization of a business you have to go through, right? Like the first four or five years of Molo, like we had to be that type of like, everything was black and white, perfect. Um, but eventually like you get to a point where like your relationships with customers, like they don't want you to just sit there and bleed, right? Like they're like, Hey, we've already committed to you. You are one of our core providers. We, we like you, like, don't just sit here and like run yourself ragged and, and not, <laughs> and not be profitable. Like it's okay yeah, to wave your white flag. Now there's some customers that are like, Hey, you never, you change your rate and we'll never work with you again. Like, obviously there's always going to be those types of people, but like, eventually if you want to scale and become a mature organization like you 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 can't keep everybody happy a hundred percent of the time there's going to be tough conversations that have to have to be had um but we really did our best to like stick to our principles and just never screwing somebody over or making them feel like they weren't you know they were getting a bad shake right and so um even till this day i mean i'm obviously not in the walls anymore but like i know the principles of like the way we built our business stay true and you know they want to keep doing their best to take care of customers in the same light and and carriers um but the reality is this is a cyclical business right and like this is something that i am very interested in because having watched it the last cycles over the last 11 years i see the same mistakes happening over and over again um where you know, a tough cycle comes in, it puts some carriers or, or brokerages out of business, customers change um, their favorite carrier changes, right? Because the new guy comes in, saves the day, or decision makers change at customers. And then it's it's a constant loop of like, all right, who's the next person that's going to come save the day? It's going to be my favorite carrier. And like, <laughs> what I tried to do myself as, as, a, as a sales rep and managing um, fortune 500 customers by the end of molo like i i was managing 150 million in, in truckload spend um was to stay like this consistent i don't care what is going on in the market you already know what's going on in the market rates are up rates are down the the boy who cried wolf the carriers are going out of business this and that like great but you still need me to service your business and take care of you and and show up every day and so that's I tried to stay as consistent as possible and know that in the long run, if I do everything that I committed to you as a, as a customer, you're going to be a customer for three years from now, five years from now, seven years from now. If you keep that mindset on in front of you, when you start making decisions or you're faced with adversity or challenges that are right in front of you, that you have to make a decision to, you know, give loads back or, or, you know, hurt this carrier relationship or this or that like you just don't do that because those are short cycles right and so if if you can get through the pain of like a three-month cycle that is challenging or whatnot and then tell a good story about that and make sure your customer knows the challenges that you're going through they're nine times out of ten they're going to remember that and make sure you're whole the next year there are some customers that aren't like that but like that in my head i made it very clear to my customers that that's the type of carrier or brokerage that we are we're wanting long-term partnerships we're going to battle with you when it's tough when it's super hard i'm not going to give up when you know a hurricane hits or this or that happens and the same token like when i'm struggling and i'm really down in in the dumps i need you to help me one once or twice and like on the other side if the market flips on its head and tanks come back to me i'll i'll try to help you too and like this is a two-way street um 
and that's how I led my, most of my customer relationships. And, and I think Molo as a whole, like we think about the big picture of like long-term partnerships with customers. I mean, I think a huge thing in this industry really needs to understand, but I mean, I've had this conversation with thousands of people, like greed will always happen. It is cyclical. Like, but if you can just somehow find the middle ground, you know, where you're running freight, when it's high, you're at that number. When it's low, you're at that number. Like you said, over the course of a couple of years, you're always going to even out. You're always going to end up, you know, like the guy that makes $8 a mile for one year and then he makes a dollar a mile for one year. And like at the end, there's always a middle number. And if, you know, you can always 100%. service freight at that healthy number for everybody involved, then I think, you know, consistency and, you know, keeping your word on stuff. When you take your losses, I mean, you know, you take your gains, you're always going to even out, you know, if you're doing good business. You're only as good as your your word, right? And the, and the trust that you've built with, with them. Now, I will say this. You need to articulate the game you're playing with your customers um, and and understand their game that they play. Are they transactional? Do they, they like to change their rates every three months? Do they have waterfall guides or... Um, do they want you to commit for an entire year? You better not change the rate or you're fired. Like everybody has their own game that they play and you need to play to their rules. Uh, Andrew said that a few times, but like, yeah, every customer has their own strategy. And so like as a, as a, a good brokerage, you want to mirror or play the game that they, what they care about their rules. Um, and so if their rules are to accept hundred percent of the freight all the time, or you're not allowed to haul for us, like you better do that. But that, type of commitment might come with a different type of rate, right? And so that's why, you know, your freight IQ and understand really truly understanding the customer profile and what they care about matters, right? We all have seen that customer that has a hundred brokers signed up. They blast the email off and like whoever has the lowest rate gets the load. Like that's not fun, right? Like, and you, <laughs> you know, Play, I think there's a, a quote, you play long-term games with long-term people, you play short-term games with short-term people. You have certain customers that only care about the lowest rate. Um, and okay, fine. Like, I'll play that game. You have long-term customers that are like, I want to build and scale and grow with you. And, you know, I'm going to start at 10 million this year. And next year, we're going to get to 15 and 20 and 30 and, and like scale and grow all the way out. But what I've seen um, that is something that I'm truly passionate about is the freight market moves in cycles historically every 18, 24 months, call it 36 months. And the freight just changes hands. It literally like this broker has the freight, they're doing a good job on it. And then their service or scores start declining. The shipper's like, okay, I want to change carriers. I want to change brokerages because the other person's doing better on some of these lanes. And then the market shifts and then the carrier who was great, it starts falling off. So we try somebody new, but is that just going to be the life of our industry the rest of the way? Yeah, like, I think there needs to be a point where like the industry gets to an understanding that the market is the market. There are implications that cause, um, you know, maybe service issues or, or failures and like, but that's just the reality of it. When is it just like the reality is it's hard. And choose to choose who you want to work with through the hard and and battle with and let let, you know, build long term partnerships with those types of 
brokerages and then um same thing on the carrier side right like if if you, you get in bed with the people that you trust right and i that's something that i care a lot about because i see it just going up and down and decision making is it's like a tornado and i want to be a part of changing that so that's something um that you know i think about a lot and and i'm thinking about doing something about that one day <laughs> oh it's uh i think you hit it on the head i mean it's it's a cycle it's like the you know it's endless endless cycle for you know ever and when is it uh you know, when is it kind of gonna gonna change in that sense um one thing i think was kind of interesting because you guys obviously had a unique philosophy you know with how you were just keeping your rates during covid and you know, how you were growing and you know, I know you guys had, you know, investors as well. Was it was it hard, you know, pitching this idea to get everyone on board and the, the company with it? Because um, you guys were obviously doing something, you know, that a lot of brokerages weren't doing during COVID and, you know, weren't willing to do. Um, you know, was it hard, you know, explaining that kind of decision to, you know, investors and, you know, not just investors, but employees too? Not so much the employees. Like, they were all bought in, like, this is the right way to do things things and we were very um we were if you weren't part of the culture and, and wanting to do things the mullah way like you just weren't gonna work here like we had bad eggs that like maybe had past experience from a, a, a different brokers that they were at before they wanted to come in and you know tell a carrier off or treat you know not pay this or that and we just like wouldn't let people treat people there was just one way to do things and that was always how we we did it um but yeah from an investment perspective um you know we got we got an investment from from jeff uh, about year three and he kind of saw the writing on the walls of like what we were building and how we were going to scale this thing out um and so we just you know we had to stick to that but you know eventually you're you're building it to a point where like you can be a marketable brokerage to sell right and and like you have all the tools there um I think by year, I'm trying to think back by year five, you know, we were, we were humming along at, at $600 million. Um, everything was, was super smooth. And yeah, I think that's the, the point where we were like, okay, we, this is something that we could potentially, there, there, there's people who want to buy our business. Like we have a good customer base. We, we take care of our customers. Our perception is good. People want to work here. Like this is a, this is a marketable business that somebody would want to buy. I got a question for you guys as a carrier that worked with Molo um, for a long time. What are, do you have any insight on like, um, you know, a lot of brokers just have their, their carrier boards, like your brokerage boards, however you want to call in-house load boards, you know? Why was Molo never one of the, you guys never really jumped on that. Like I always had a G chatter up with Molo, like, which was great. Uh, I had a great team, uh, team Davis uh, for a long time. Then um, recently I have a different rep at this moment. Um, I mean, what, what was Davis. the conversation there? Cause I kept harassing my rep like every month. I was like, are you guys ever going to get a broker? So I don't got to bother you every day. Like, yeah, I think, um, when you're scaling and growing as fast as we were, there's only so much you could do. Like you want to have every bell and whistle and think of the futuristic thing, but you're also running a business and maybe there's other technology um, advancements that we were working on that were prior to having a load board or this or that. Um, I, I wasn't really involved in, in that decision here or there. Could we have had one earlier? Maybe, 
you know, it might have probably would have helped our business even more. But those are some of the things that you reflect on, like going through that journey, like, man, would this thing have helped us faster if we got this sooner? Or like, man, if we would have adjusted on the fly here or hired this type of person or like those are all learning curves, curves and, and, you know, things that you look back on. You're like, wow, we were beating our head against the wall and this could have been something better. But like as a business owner, as a brokerage, you know, founder, if you will, like these are things that you need to think about. Like, do we bite the bullet and, and add this piece of technology now? And because it's going to help us get to here or can we hold off on that and add this thing? Because this is more important. Like you have to make those judgment calls um, and continue to run your business. So um, I want to say by the end, we did finally get a board and, you know, part of the ArcBest acquisition, why that was, they were a great partner to work with was because of the resources that the resources that they had as already being a publicly traded organization with, you know, you know, a $5 billion company with all these resources already. So they, they could take us from like this company that was like built on, on blood, sweat and tears and taking care of our customers and had this perception and then also add all of the extra layers of like, they're like, here, you guys need this and this and this and this. So we're going to pump all that in for you. And like, you know, again, I'm, I'm not in the walls anymore to, to understand what it's like today, but I would imagine they're just going to continue to get more efficient and, and, and pumping the technology and, and like compete in the industry. I was there, man. I'll never forget the day, to be honest, because I love the, the reps that I had uh, with Molo. Like they were just great people. We talked like just as friends, you know. And uh, I'll never forget the day when I came into my office and my rep sent me the link. He goes, here's the Molo load board. You know, and it was like so long time coming. And uh, it was just a cool day. But I think, um, you know, you guys did a really good job um, with your hiring decisions. However, that went into it where I would just give a truck list, man. And those reps were like, it was like 10, 15 second responses every day of the week. So I yeah, mean, I think where you guys lacked on the load board, you definitely made up for in the quality of your carrier reps because the guys i worked with were just the every rep i've had at molo was just insane like they're, they're yeah. so quick they're so nice you met um and i love hearing that because i you know i grew up on the, the carrier side so that's like you know where i got my start but like i remember talking to a lot of the car early carrier reps and like dropping knowledge on them on how to take care of you know carriers but like they really took off and like Molo did a really great job of getting the right managers and leadership involved, middle management, um, making sure that we had um, the direction and leadership of like how to continue scaling and also taking care of carriers and building those relationships and the routing guides and making sure you're, you're getting the freight service by the right carriers, but also like building that one-on-one -on -one relationships where you can call the guy, you know, will take the load or bend over backwards for you because you got their back. Like, uh, that relationship will always be a core part of of a successful brokerage. The relationships you build with, with yeah. carriers. Um, you mentioned Team Davis. Derek Davis is a you know a good a good buddy of mine. Um, he was actually a dispatcher back in the day at, at Florida Beauty Express, um, and like we kind of recruited him to come over to Molo. He was one of our I don't know I think he was in our top twenty five or fifty employees to start there. But Derek's a, a hustler grinder guy like have a uh, a great great relationship with him so if he was your rep like i can only imagine you guys had a really good relationship yeah, together. Yeah, this team and him was awesome um 
I mean, I think the thing with Molo really was just the, like you said, like we've had this discussion, me and Matt personally, like, you know, just off the air. Like, I think a lot of people don't understand um, the, the value that carrier reps have, especially when you get to G chat, man, because you're, these guys are there for you. Like if I send right now, if I send my Molo rep a, a chat and just send them a lane, like he'll get back to me in five seconds. And I think a lot of conversation comes where, they say, oh, like Cradle to Grave is better because they know everything about the load. But I think these these people have never been on the carrier end of it where I'm sitting here looking at this screen. I send the reference number. It's it's right there to me. If I have an issue, I tell them, hey, we're stuck at pickup. They sure. get to whoever owns the load within less than a minute and it's solved, you know. So when you have that level of carrier reps, honestly, I'd rather deal with the carrier reps because their only job is to, to, to deal yeah. with Yeah, and that's know? like there's the, the old debate over what's the the right style of brokerage that that that's the, the most efficient way of doing it there's the, the the ch coyote molo arrive where you know you have customer and carrier separate and like you only focus on doing your job 100 percent of the time perfectly which like there's a super um you can make a case that that's the right way of doing it but then you got companies out there like like uh, a tql or agencies where they run their own thing and like um, right, wrong, or indifferent, like those companies are really well. I think TQL is a $13 billion organization, so they got to be doing something right over there, right? Like, so I'll never say that there's one right way of doing it, but like, I mean, business, you got to take care of your customers and carriers. Like, that's the yeah. end of the, that's the entire game. That's literally I'll, it. I'll put it to you this way the companies you just named that do the carrier side of things, carrier reps, you know, the CH, the Arrive, the, the Molo, the Echo, those are the companies I haul the most for. Because those are the companies that are the, the most responsive. They have their own load boards and they have their own reps that are always on GChat. And I mean, like you said, I'm never going to make the argument, you know, this is better than that. As a carrier and only a carrier, those four companies you just named are faster and easier to get freight from than the other companies you, you listed off. Because they're a message the, the size too. I mean, I was a cradle to grave rep, but I there's no way I could have, you know, sold enterprise shippers billion dollar shippers but you know in the hundred to 400 million dollar range and smaller shippers there was some advantages to being you know the cradle to grave you know on the spot so i mean i think stefan hit it on the head i mean i think it really depends on what kind of customers you're targeting what you're set up i mean there's so many different ways to ways to you know set up an organization um you know, yeah and, and i think you like again like what i said previously you, you play the game that your customer plays right like if they ship two loads a week like you got to adjust to to the the, the volume or, or service expectations that they have for that versus like someone who ships you know 100,000 truckloads a year and like they need you to be able to scale and, and build teams around servicing that much volume like um that's really the challenge and and I think the the brokerage industry needs to really identify that the the ideal customer profile that they want to go after and like focus their their level of service towards their target market i think that that um is is pivotal you know at least for molo for the first really five years we were heavy enterprise focused um but there's there's a super there's a great balance when it comes to um also taking care of uh, bd type customers as well who have intricate expectations and 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 finding a balance between having both types of customers 
um, and being able to service really someone who ships one load of a month, one load a year, or or a hundred thousand truckloads, right? Like, um, and so that was something that you know down the stretch at at Molo, we we were really making sure that we could service any customer. Um, and I mean, there's a question, man, that Matt didn't ask you, which I'm pretty surprised about, since he's kind of honestly, I had a conversation in real life today with a guy that's in logistics, like uh, on the Europe side of things. And Matt kind of instilled this question in my head, so I'm shocked he didn't ask you, you know, about 20 minutes ago. So you went from the carrier sales side, you know, like my rep, like this kind of stuff, dealing with carriers. And then you just slyly threw in that you switched to, to calling up shippers and grabbing, you know, customers. And Matt, for whatever reason, missed it. Like, how did you get the knowledge, you know, to like, how did you start cold calling? Were you listening to your coworkers? Like, when did you get, how long did it take you to get your first, like, you know, cold call customer, however you went about it. Um, I'm just yeah. interested. How did you go from carrier sales to customer sales? You know, like, how did you get into that? There isn't a right answer to that, but I can yeah. tell you what, what I did. And so um, relationships are relationships. How you treat people is how you treat people. If you can build trust and people can see that you are a good person, that will reign supreme on either side, right? And so um, the message of what you talk about from a carrier perspective, right? Everything that you've learned on the carrier side or maybe in operations or being, being a dispatcher, right? Those are, those are stories that you can tell that will resonate with a customer, right? So you got to speak to what you know. And so I knew how to take care of carriers, how to build relationships, how to build trust, how to um get customers to believe in me and let them know that like they could trust me and so i talked about everything that i knew that i was exposed to um and then over time as you start getting in more conversations you listen to other sales reps you sit in on a meeting with you know i remember one of my first meetings uh i, I went to with with andrew and he had done customer prior to that and I botched it. I think, I, I think he took control of it. I, I went in there as the sales rep. I got this meeting set up and he ran, he ran with um, leading it most of the way. But like um, I sat there and I learned like, all right, he talked about this. He talked about this. Like yeah. there's things that I need to learn. And so like I was a sponge um, and I was the same way as a carrier sales rep. When I sat down in between knowing nothing, I'm sitting here like this guy's talking about this. He's talking about this. How can I talk about that? I need to figure out how to talk about these things. And over time, you start getting a confidence of like, wait, customers care about these things. They want to know that you're going to pick up your freight, you're going to deliver it, you're going <laughs> to communicate, you're going to invoice and follow their rules. And so like, there's, <laughs> that's like 95% of the game. And if you do those things right, it's just rinse and repeat. Um, and so, yeah, the transition over, like you start getting more confident as you get exposed to um, challenges, you overcome them. Um, you, you start figuring out how to articulate the message and like most customers want the same thing. They want a provider that's going to take good care of them and, and stick with them through thick and thin and, and regardless of the market still service their freight. Um, and so once you figure that part out, it's like, it's game over. And so once I figured that out, it was just a matter of like mastering storytelling, which, um, you know, Will and I have talked about that in the past and, Storytelling is probably the number one attribute that a sales rep should have. 
right? If you did something great for for another customer and they gave you credit for it or, um, you know, said like, that was awesome. You tell that story to the next guy and the next guy and the next guy, because you know what? that story means something, right? Like they want to know that like, man, they can put themselves in the shoes of the person who went through that challenging thing and was like thankful that you handled it the right way. So I would used to tell other customer sales reps, like, stop sounding like a robot and trying to get this guy to buy from you and start telling them like stories, like real like, things. Be a human. Be a human being. Be a this human. person likes, you know, eating Italian beefs on the weekend and, and drinking a few old styles and going to Cubs games. Like be that person to them. Like they are not just a, a dispatcher or a procurement manager or a logistics manager. They might have a, a wife and kids and a dog and they have other stuff that they like. Like you got to be a real person in this business um and don't sound like a robot can i get loads yeah. from you like can i pick the, like you, you you're sounding you're sounding so needy like That's sound crazy. confident talk about stuff that like you've accomplished things that you've done um for other customers and that you think that someone else would appreciate right? i think a lot of people are just too scared to talk about anything that's not work like i mean when i call my drivers when i call my favorite brokers up the first thing out of my mouth is not like, hey, this load, this, uh, hey, man, how are you doing? How is your day? How's your drive? Like, I'm not just calling them, like, what's your ETA? And hang up the phone, you know, like, Dude, you're calling I, real people. Like, I used, like, back in the Coyote days when I was a carrier sales rep, you know, they would measure you on how many calls you made, outbound calls, but they would also measure you on, like, time on the phone. And my calls were low, but my yeah. phone time was, like, eight hours a day. Because I would just talk to this guy or talk to the, the, the lady dispatcher and be like, I want to learn everything about you. I want to know your family. I want to know what sports team you like. I want to know how many trucks you have. Where do you want to go? Um, do you, <laughs> what kind of music do you listen to? What's your favorite food? I want to know everything about you so that like you become my friend. And we are like a friendship. We can rely on each other. And that was the type of deep relationship that I wanted to have with my carriers. Um and then the same thing on the customer side, right? Like once you get in, you start servicing somebody, doing a good job for them. You want to build a personal relationship with those people too, because like they also can see that you're a human doing a job and it's more than just like servicing freight and all that. Like you can become friends. And then once it becomes like a friendship and, you know, it's more than just work related, then you're doing business with people that you like being in business with. Yeah, I mean, my I'm glad, you brought, I'm glad yeah. you brought that up too. You know, talking about relationships mm -hmm. and you know the human connection and you know the communication. You know, because you see a lot. You know, you guys. You know, we've had shippers on the show, enterprise shippers. You, have, you know, said a lot of the same things you have. We've had a lot of other sales reps. You know, but you see a lot of people still struggling with a lot of these things. You know, you see it on LinkedIn. You know, do, you, do you think it's just poor training across the brokerage world? Or I mean, everyone says a lot of the same same things, but obviously majority of people aren't doing it. Um, so I'm just curious what your you know, your thought process is of, of kind of why, why that is. I think it is poor training. I think uh, the best brokerages have excellent training um, and are able to get that message across to their reps. But I think where the industry lacks is like the naturalness of like, hey, like I'm I'm Literally. talking to you. Like I used to get on calls with customers and for the first 10 minutes we chopped it up and I didn't I was like, oh, 
I should probably start pitching you on why you should work with us. But like <laughs> the first 10 minutes were like, they saw my, uh, it's not up here, but my, in, in my last office had my Cubs memorabilia up and they would just start, we'd start chopping it up and just like having a, nor- a normal conversation um, about what was going on. And, and like, and then you get into it and you can see really clearly like, man, I would want to work with this person because they're a good communicator. They care. Like it's, it's like, it's a naturalness and it's not like I'm selling you to use me because I'm no, like let's work together. I won't work with you cause you're cool. Like I want to take care of your, your freight. I want to build a partnership with you, but it does. I'm not going to like sugarcoat it. It does take time to get to that level of confidence. Right? Like I didn't understand that immediately. But I did know that I had that from the carrier side. So if I could replicate the type of relationships and talking and like and like bond that I had on that side, I could do it on the customer side. It's the same thing. It's just different things you're talking about. Right. I mean, I think you hit it so hard that nobody's really ever said it. Like I'm going to start using that wording, too. It, It comes down to, okay. there's maybe there's bad training. Maybe there's good training. But the naturalness of like you were a guy that could just talk to a guy on the street, somebody on the street, you know, and just how, like I can meet any human anywhere, like on a bus, I'll start talking to them. Like you have to be a certain type of person to be successful right out of the gate. And you can be trained however you want to be trained. And somebody can tell you, be a person, be a human, be natural as much as you want. You can hear it as much as you want. But when you get on the phone, like you might freeze up. You might not be that guy. You might not be that person that's going to be comfortable. Like, and this job, like, I mean, I dealt with people face to face, you know, in my previous occupation, but this job really got me into like, when people call me now, like just anybody calls me like a random person, like outside of work, I'm just talking like, you're so natural on the phone. If you do this long enough where it's like, yeah. you know, like you said, you just get there's lost nothing, in time. There's like, nothing to worry about. I think people yeah. are like, oh, what do I sound like? Yeah, oh, man, I can't say the wrong, the wrong thing. Oh, man. What was that line that I heard someone else say? I, like, wrote it down. You're like toe tapping. You're like, it doesn't need to be so like like regimented. But again, I had I went through that phase. I went through that phase where I like, did I sound right? Oh my god, this meeting's coming up. I'm nervous. Like, and then I realized, like, wait, I just need to be me, man. Let me just be me. We'll chop it up. We're cool. I'm here to take care of you. Got to understand your problems you're going through. Like, here's what we're gonna do. Like, you you, you make it seem a little bit less. Um, yeah, just like you got to be a little more smooth. But like, it took me a while to learn that. I'll be honest. Like, and the more customers that you start taking care of, that say you're doing a good job, it it like it messes with your brain. Your brain is like, wait a second. I'm doing something that was hard. It was so hard to land this customer. This customer loves me. Let me go do it again. Wait, the next customer is going to love the same thing that this customer loved about me. Let me go do it again. I mean, it's just like the momentum starts creeping in. And it you eventually like you could go eventually you get to the point where you could go into a meeting and you don't have to have this like, all right, here's all the pre-game. whole meeting is about guys. Like we're going to No, it's like, hey, like, I'm here to meet you guys, learn a little bit. We're asking a few questions. Like, let's let's just have a conversation, you know. Um, but again, you have to put yourself in that position to like be afraid of and and learn that because I struggled with it in the beginning. I was I fumbled my words all the time. So like, um, but if you don't go through that, if you're not willing to go through that like phase where you stink, you'll you'll always stink. You have to be willing to like try. 
and you gotta like, be uncomfortable. You have to be uncomfortable. Like, just you know, anyways, not to beat a dead horse, but well, um, you know, I, I think that's really interesting. I mean, we've really we've really enjoyed this whole conversation. I think you've given a lot of you know tidbits to the you know the audience. Um, you know, what's kind of a I kind of wanted to end on you know what's kind of next for you. I mean, obviously it was a big journey with you know, Molo. Um, you know, then it's Soul. What's kind of your you know future future plans and yeah, what are you looking to do? Yeah, so like I you know I left I left Molo on a good note. Uh, end of November, it was uh, I, I reached every goal accomplishment that I had. Um, I had built my family. Oh, I say built because I. I don't know. That's how I think. Like, yeah, I'm going to build my family. Like, <laughs> so I, anyways, I had, I had a kid, a wife, um, had another baby on the way. And so it was like a good time for me to like, like look back and be like, wow, we ran this race. It was incredible journey to build Molo. Like, let me pass this on to like the next regime of like badass reps who want to keep this thing going forward. So it was really cool to get to transition out of Molo. Um, you know, say my, say my goodbyes, but then really take a little bit of time off to focus on family. Um, family is everything to me. Like it's the purpose. It was, it was the reason it was my fuel and why I worked so hard at Molo because I wanted to have a future family. Right. And that is something that, um, I, I, I want to, to tell others who are maybe not, they don't know their purpose yet. Like you need to have a reason why you're doing what you're doing and like a vision and, and, and something that you believe in. And so for me, it was like my future family. But then once I had my family, I was like, wait a second, like my family's here. Like I want to enjoy this for a second. So let me just take a quick break. So, um, you know, I exited and, and I've been focused on that um, and putting my family first. But, you know, really the next thing for me is is I've, I've been noticing Kind of a lot of the inefficiencies in our industry, um, a lot of stuff we talked about, right? Where it's just like very cyclical in nature, and just like it's a constant, um, it's a, a constant rat race. And so I want to focus on building some some software or or, or tech platforms. And so that's kind of next for me. Um, thinking of in the early stage of like what what I could do to to solve some of the problems in this industry. And so that's where my brain is at right now. Um, and yeah, I just kind of been giving my brain a rest from all the freight. <laughs> um, oh, that's interesting. You brought that up. I mean, do you think, you know, what, what is there, what, like what area of the industry do you think needs the most you know, tech help? Obviously we're seeing, you know, the last since COVID we've seen a lot of tech companies come into the space, you know, technology's changing, you know, with AI, uh, we haven't really talked much about technology. I mean, I'd love to, you know, kind of get your, you know, your takes on that. Yeah, I think that there are some really great companies out there that are hammering home on whether it's, um, you know, carrier vetting or better TMSs, EDI, API connectivity. Um, I think that there's a need for, for like the shippers and what they, what they care about and figuring out like, how can you make it a better ecosystem for everybody? I don't have the answer, but that's where my mind is at. Um, and, and like, I just think that it's a, it's a, a little bit inefficient the way that the, the industry works today and, and how freight changes hands every, every six, 12 months. And like, I, I want to figure out a way for, for it to be a better, um, you know, a better cohesive nature for everybody involved, carrier shippers, employees, 
Um, and so I'm, yeah, I just, I, I whiteboard in my office. So like all the problems that I see and like, which one will be the one that I'll tackle. Um, you'll probably hear a little bit more about it in the future, but I, I'm really in just the early stage of like thinking about which challenge I want to solve right now. So, um, but yeah, would love to connect with, you know, in industry minds, people who think like me, I think I'm a little bit more of a, uh, contrarian when it comes to logistics. Like I think naturally the industry, uh, likes to talk about the markets and this and that and change and then and then like I'm more of a like well like all that stuff is like going on behind the scenes like what about like what what are we doing working on to better the in industry regardless of all of that like that's over here who's working on building it better and not the like the movement of the freight right now so like that's kind of where my mind is at um, and you know I, I launched a personal brand really just talking about my resume, some of, some of the stuff that I was able to accomplish at, at Molo. Um, but yeah, right now, just really connecting with industry leaders, getting to see the technology out there um, and networking. That's where, that's where my next phase is right now, but eventually I'll, I'll be pushing to go into SaaS or, or technology. I think that's the right, right fit for me. Man, I mean, I was having a conversation with a guy today and we were talking just about logistics, um, how it's kind of like a drug once you're in it. And you kind of like can't get out of it. And I mean, do you ever just miss it? Like, you know, the, the days of slinging freight as a carrier app, the days of like, do you ever just miss the day to day? Like, I'm having a like a dilemma personally, um, you know, with stepping out of dispatch or stepping into something else. And I think I would be sad. Like I thought if I won $10 million, I think I would be sad to just step out of my day to day booking freight, talking to drivers. Like, I mean, do you miss that? I miss... I miss the hustle and bustle and I miss the connecting with the, the operations teams, the carrier teams. I miss talking to my customers and those relationships that meant the world to me. Um, by the end of Molo, like I had close to 200 indirect reports that were taking care of the freight. And like, I loved seeing them build their careers out and like step up and do that. And so like, that's what I miss the most is, is seeing the people build their careers out and, and take care of the customers. Um, but yeah, it's a little different being at home right now with two kids without like answering emails and, and, and calling customers. But uh, yeah, it's a, it's, it was an incredible journey, an incredible sprint. I'm so thankful that I was a part of it. I've learned a great deal. And like, I, I think I'll leave, leave the conversation on this note. Um, you are capable of more than you think you are, even if you're crushing it in your current role. So like always be thinking about like, what's the next thing that I need to learn to like move myself forward. Um, because I think naturally we try to pigeonhole ourselves into like, I'm just a carrier rep or I'm only this, this role or like, and you don't realize that like the more you learn, the more you take on challenges, the more you're capable of, you know, building a, a better career for yourself or, or helping your customers more, right? Like, and so that's where I'm at today. Like Molo carved me into this person that I realized, like when I first came in, I was a, a really great carrier sales rep. And by the end, I, you know, exited, was an exited founder that managed $150 million worth of freight. So like, that was a, a maturation that I had to go through. I want other people to realize that like they are capable of doing that, but you have to put yourself in the position to like fail and try things that are scary and hard. 
and don't settle for like, I'm just good at this thing today. Right. Like, what do I need to learn to get forward? Damn, bro. Yeah, that's a great, yeah, I mean, you hit it right on the, right on the head. Um, well, that's I, like the advice we all need to hear, honestly. I mean, I think a lot of us are on the fence. And like you said, just because you're a good carry sales rep, just because you're a good dispatcher, just because you're a good broker, like that doesn't mean that's all you're ever going to be. That's all you can be, you know? No, I'm not diminishing the fact that if you did stay in a role for like 10 or 15 years, there's nothing wrong with that. I know people that are still slang and fright. They did it for 15 years and they're crushing it. There's nothing wrong with that. But I do think if, you know, you want to keep building and growing, like you got to have that infectious desire to keep learning, right? Yeah, man. What else can you expose yourself to that'll make you a better carrier sales rep or a better ops rep or a better sale, customer sales rep? If you're a great customer sales rep today, maybe you go and sit at the carrier sales team and you just like sit there for an hour and listen to them talking to drivers. And maybe you hear something that's like, wow, I'm going to use that on my next customer call. Like you got to be a sponge. This industry is so massive. There's like information flying everywhere that like the more you you tap into the knowledge, the more dangerous you can be and get, you get yourself into other rooms or a, a bigger opportunity. So like anyways, I'm rambling here. Molo's I, I appreciate you coming on, man. I yeah, didn't ever have a chance to, to speak with you. Um, you're a really cool guy, I man. You're just like really, really good attitude. And uh, I appreciate your time. That's for sure. Yeah, it was yeah. a lot of fun. Um, I'm sure everyone's going to enjoy, you know, listening back to this. I mean, we touched on so many things. And yeah, thanks again for taking the time to you know come on with us. Yeah, no doubt. I appreciate it, guys. Um, and yeah, I'm just ex excited to see where the industry goes and and I'll pop up at some point in the near future. So I'm excited to see where you go, man. Honestly, you gave me a lot of insight into to things I really was curious about with Molo. And uh, I just, you know, wish you all the best in the future, man. Yeah, likewise to you guys. I hope the podcast keeps growing. Um, you know, Alex, I, I hope Molo keeps taking great care of you and, and <laughs> badass lanes, man. Uh, I, want, I want to see people win, you know, and like uh, I'm a biggest uh, cheerleader for people who are going out there putting themselves in the in in uncomfortable positions to, to grow so if you see me on, on linkedin I, I i'm kind of a hoorah rah guy i like to to make sure other people's get recognition and credit for like doing hard things because like that's what life's about man committing to things that are hard worthwhile hard things that like you're excited about and if once you reach there you're like man that was a badass journey so cool <laughs> it was great meeting you both of you guys um yeah keep, let's keep in touch yeah, yeah, bro. Have a good rest of your day. Yeah, have a good you around. Yep. Well, thanks again. Likewise, guys. Have a good one. Bye. Wow, man. That was fun. Yeah, I was excited about this. Honestly, like, obviously, like when I say things like this, it's never to throw shade at like past guests and stuff. But like Molo being a company that has just been in my day to day life for like four years, something like that. At this point, it was just cool, man, to be able to have a guest like that and. You know, you think about these founders sometimes, you think about these brokerage names and you just never expect to talk to them. And they're just like, you know, they're just people like just normal guy, great attitude, really humble. Like he doesn't come across as, you know, having any kind of ego or anything. And I mean, it's just so cool with this podcast allows us, you know, to talk to people like this. Because um, if you asked me, you know, six months ago, if I'd be able to talk to half the people we've had on, that, you know, the answer probably would have been no. And a lot of people I haven't really known, to be honest, that I never really came across without this. So, you know, I appreciate uh, all your work for, for booking everybody. And, you know, I'm happy with, with how things have been going.
Yeah, we got another uh, another fun show, uh, fun show tomorrow. Um, and yeah, I'll see you uh, see you tomorrow. And yeah, if you missed this, well, obviously, if you want to go back and watch any part of it, it'll be on Apple, Spotify, um, YouTube. You know, if you missed any part of it. And uh, yeah, we're twenty one episodes in now. Time is uh, time is flying. Yeah, man. Well, hope for another, you know, 50 milestone. Maybe we'll hit the hundreds, man. But uh, have a good rest of your day. I got to get back to my trucks and uh, you know, enjoy your Wednesday, bro. Sounds good. See you tomorrow.